Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Alex, the CEO at Connect Earth. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Likewise. And uh, yeah, it's it, it has not been a very long journey uh, until now. So the company will do will turn two in July of 23. But I know it has been a very intense and successful uh, start and an amazing mission behind what you are doing. But before going there, let us know a bit more about you and, and your background uh, and what has been the motivation behind starting Connect Earth. Yeah, thanks, Mike. So, I mean, yeah, so I'm from Germany. Um, I'm 26 years old now. Um, so still, I'd say the first kind of the spring of my career so kind of the very beginning mm -hmm. i think i've left the winter now i'm kind of in the spring hopefully with the startup <laughs> um and yeah so i'm from germany i um i'm from from the place called Königstein, just outside of frankfurt so i grew up here mm -hmm. um and uh then went to the uk when i was 19 um to study at warwick university so i went to to warwick did my management undergrad there it was a great time where i mm -hmm. basically first got into just business in general, but I was already working part-time in London for a fintech startup to kind of finance my studies and, you Ooh. know, um, just make some extra cash to travel basically and, and just build a network. And so very quickly, I fell in love with fintech and more generally, it was kind of mm -hmm. 2016, 17, 18 when I did that, which was kind of the rise of like neobanks and exciting right. industries like crypto, etc. So, so yeah, it was very interesting for me at that age. Um, and then, yeah, so I did my did my undergrad and, and and then I basically went to Cambridge to do a master's in entrepreneurship, which, I mean, was super valuable um, from a network perspective and also from a time perspective. It got, gave me some more time to think about what I want to do and, and then kind of mm -hmm. COVID hits, right? And so it was remote. Right. And during that time, I really, you know, I enjoyed fintech and I had my own company at university as well, mm -hmm. which was an agency that was helping fintechs. And that was my first kind of company where you know we generated like six figures bootstrapped completely right and so it was very very nice. interesting to, to have yeah. that um and and basically yeah so so after that i basically said okay like i want to do something which is a bit more impactful and so during covid i fell into this 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 kind of rabbit hole of climate mm -hmm. tech climate in general right. i really um i was reading up on like you know uh how the 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 atmosphere is kind of or like basically how the, the carbon emissions are reducing because of less air travel and, and all that kind of stuff right so that's when i really right. got into it like three three years ago mm -hmm. um and then from a business perspective i just really always enjoyed um linking impact with with some kind of like traditional industry so for example right. in fintech it would be personal like personal finance financial literacy you know like helping people save right. whilst also being in the financial industry Mm -hmm. So the climate tech angle really was something which I instantly saw because I felt like the best way to measure carbon emissions is from your finances. And so I was looking for ways to to solve that problem. So, super amazing. And so then in in 21, you decide to and, and uh, before that, you you got part of Entrepreneur First, uh, yeah. of the batch of Entrepreneur First. Maybe for the ones who are not uh, super familiar, but I know that Entrepreneur First is very well known 
uh, at the moment, but just mm -hmm. give us an overview about what is Entrepreneur First and why did you decide to on to to to, to join a program like that to to start your mm -hmm. company. Well, I mean, I think uh, so. So basically, before I go into why I joined, it's uh, just about EF or Entrepreneur First in general, yeah. which is referred to widely as as EF. So Entrepreneur First yeah. is a program which you as an individual apply to. So I, as Alex, I apply mm -hmm. um, and they interview you just like for a job application. And the difference is that it's not a job, but it's basically yeah. almost like a speed dating for co-founders, right? Got so. It. You go in the program and you meet, I think we were around 80, 85 people. Mm -hmm. And you wow. basically say, okay, I'm a commercial founder. Um, I need a technical founder. I was looking for a technical founder. Um, then it. you have to see, okay, you narrow it down. Interests. For me, it was like impact, so climate tech, education, health. These areas were very interesting, mm -hmm. but I knew I wanted to do either climate tech or education. Um and so basically what you do is you go through the six month program where the first three months is focused on build, which I think it's called mm -hmm. the build program where the first 14 weeks, you have to find a co-founder, you have to ideate, you have to quickly pitch to EF. Uh, EF mm -hmm. gives you feedback with mentors and they have all these different mentors. For for example, right. our mentor was a general manager at, at um, a city mapper called, called Bill Erner. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting feedback from them and meeting all these people right. that know VCs, that know the industry really helps you refine your value prop. And then basically after 14 weeks, you pitch to a panel of three people and they either decide to give you, I think it was 80,000 pounds or mm -hmm. not. And then once you get that 80K, right. it's like a ticket to the demo day. And then you have another three months yeah. where you like prepare your startup for demo day mm -hmm. and you pitch to like hundreds of investors and that's how we raised funding so basically it's from right. inception it's an incubator but then they also guide you all the way to your pre-seed or seed whatever you want to call it and so i quit my job i worked part-time in edtech i quit my job pretty much six seven months into it because mm -hmm. i enjoyed it but i wanted to do my own thing and i wanted to look into climate Right. So I was basically just ideating anyways. And so someone was like, look, just join EF. And I was like, what's EF? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, it's basically <laughs> what you need. And so that's why I applied and, and got in. And uh, yeah, and I don't regret it. It was probably the best decision I made like ever when it comes to my career, even more so than universities or anything. It was like an absolute game changer for me. And what is the... Um, uh... Beyond the develop prop uh, that you just explained, is there any kind of equity that you need to share with uh, yeah. EF to be part of the program and so on? Yeah, exactly. So I don't know what it's like now, but we had to share a certain percentage with EF and, yeah. and, 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 you know, which is a pretty sweet deal because either you build a startup and you get the network and, and just right. by being an EF company, you get access to every VC in London. Like that's at least relevant. Helps. Yeah. It yeah. Accelerates, right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's almost like, a, like, like, I believe people always say, oh, isn't that annoying and whatever. I'm like, they fully deserve it. I mean, they've, 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 they've yeah. spent a decade now or more even building the brand and ecosystem. And that is their value. Right? That's how they get paid. And and so, right. um, yeah, but it's fully worth it. Sounds great. And uh, so two quarters the first quarter to ideate and find your co-founder so you were able to find uh, your technical uh, co-founder for connect earth uh, mm -hmm. during those initial 13 weeks 
And then the second part was all getting ready for, for demo day to pitch all those investors. And um, yeah. so maybe now it's it's the moment to kind of pitch Connect Earth or what is Connect Earth about, Alex? Of course, yeah. I mean, Connect Earth, before I go into it, just a really quick shout yeah. out to my co-founder, Nick, who actually was in climate tech before and who is the most talented person I've ever worked with. He was 22 when the program started. And so without him, None of this would have happened. Um, he built the product, right? I was just selling and raising. Amazing. He's the guy who fundamentally built the product. But yeah. important to mention it because Nick had the experience before, right? So we knew we wanted to be in climate tech. And so what we saw was um, a massive opportunity to what we call platify the climate mm -hmm. space. So basically, you mm -hmm. know, plat, basically API fight the financial sector and became a unicorn with that um uh -huh. we wanted to platify the carbon sector and so what we're doing is we're focusing Amazing. on the financial sector whereby we've built a simple api toolkit or suite tool suites basically uh -huh. um where we offer financial institutions and fintechs to utilize our apis to measure and reduce their own and their customers carbon emissions and so the way it looks is that our apis feed into the retail and or business commercial banking applications, the financial institutions enables their customers to measure and reduce their emissions. So we basically convert financial data into mm -hmm. carbon emissions estimates using our data models, mm -hmm. whilst helping the financial institution understand their customers better. And so on the consumer side, for example, we're live with banks like KBC Bank Bulgaria, where now KBC Bank Bulgaria knows the emissions of their customers and how they can support them further and which ones they can target with other potential products like loans right. or whatever it may be. On the business side, um, we're currently going live with a couple of banks um, where we enabled them to offer their business customers carbon accounting, but also helping the bank understand, okay, I'm liable for my customers' emissions when I lend money out to them. How can I help my customers reduce emissions through offering them green finance products or just supporting them along the way. And so we've built that whole behavioral science engine as well. So measuring is one bit, but then kind of what is the action, right? How can you support the consumer right. or business in their reduction? That's the bit that's really hard and that we're focusing on quite heavily. And so since we've launched, we've raised quite a lot um, relative to our stage, um, around 7.4 million US dollars. And so we're now kind of scaling that up uh, to right. the next level. And kind of last uh, funding achievement has been the 5.55 million uh, dollars seed round. Uh, yeah, that you just raised. Five point five point six. Yeah, yeah, five point six. Uh, okay. I was just yeah, talking yeah. to um, to Crunchbase yeah. and uh, five point six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we raised five point six USD. We announced it in March of twenty twenty three. So this year. And um, we raised 1.8 last year uh, through EF and Angels and some other VCs. And it's important to highlight March of 23, which is not uh, the easiest uh, moment to, yeah. to raise funds. So you start in July of 21, uh, a much better environment to, to raise initial uh, rounds. But uh, then in 23, not, not the best moment uh, at all. Right. No, <laughs> it was pretty, I mean, it was pretty stressful because, I mean, um, 
it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? When 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 something mm-hmm. like this happens, then then investors get nervous and and because everyone is nervous and everyone kind of gets nervous right. together. And as a founder, you're just saying, look, it's under control. And we made sure to update everyone quickly and make sure that there's no concerns and that worked pretty well. But I've heard of companies and startups where elites like term sheet was just pulled away, you know, and these sorts of things. So super tough. Yeah. Yeah. We were lucky. Anyway, in terms of you were just presenting before um, your founding team and your co-founder, uh, Nick, who developed the products. So you you guys have been recognized at, uh, in the Forbes 30 under 30 uh, mm-hmm. list. So definitely you are doing something right and with, with a great ambition. And, and you also are in this new category that combines climate tech and fintech. So you are also two months ago in, in the ranking from Siftech, considered one of the top 11 climate fintech uh, fintechs getting VC attention in, in Europe, right? So, so definitely you are getting in the radar and uh, solving a very important problem. Um, and people are mm-hmm. excited about what, what you guys are doing. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, the the Forbes thing and everything, it's obviously great to have that. Um, and I think it's, you know, you, I like how on the website it says Connect Earth because I think Connect Earth got that achievement. Obviously, Nick and I are the driving forces from the start, which is now not diffused a bit more into everyone mm-hmm. in the company. But um, but yeah, I think it's really been an achievement of the whole company. But, but of course, uh, as a founder, you kind of, you know, you get the praise when everything goes well, but you equally also take the hit when it doesn't. So, you know, we just, uh, we enjoy it, but we're also conscious that these things don't last forever. And I think one thing that we always do is like, we always work harder, you know, nothing stays. And I think, um, yeah, it's all great. Like we're being recognized, which is, you know, something which we couldn't have dreamt of 18 months ago, but we're also just heads down as if nothing happened, you know, and just <laughs> continuing and, and enjoying it as much right. as we can but um yeah the startup the startup world is currently a, a very scary but also fun place so we just mm-hmm. try to navigate as much as possible you know right <laughs> so you guys are on this stage of zero to one and uh and getting ready to start thinking about uh maybe later in, uh, at uh, a round and get, getting through the one to ten uh journey in terms of uh of growth so it started with the uh, 80k tickets with the uh, with the ef uh program then you had a pre-seed round when uh, after the demo day or on the demo day so when did it happen yeah so so yeah exactly so we what we did is we got the 80k from ef and then raised i think it was a total of like like 240 so 160x extra from investors Mm-hmm. Um, like angels, for example, um, Zehan, who was uh, the CTO at Magic Pony, which sold to Twitter for, uh, I think it was a nine figure amount. Um, uh, you know, we also had um, other, you know, sm- like Venista Ventures, which is which was a VC mm-hmm. from Germany, which was our first big support outside of EF. Big shout out to those guys. One of the one of the most value add funds, I think, for for what they invest that I've come across. Um, and then we yeah, we raised our pre seed shortly after with Mustard Seed maze and um uh, market one capital leading it uh, also including investors like plug and play of course in in uh, silicon valley and mm-hmm. uh, funds like d2 fund 
Um, if I forgot someone listening, please don't. <laughs> please don't be mad. But um, and then yeah, and then we raised that. We announced that in March uh, 2022. So just 12 months right. before seed. Yeah. Right. So it's been quite, quite fast. And in terms of of this journey, mm-hmm. Alex, could you give just walk us through? What did you prove from you know from getting into the program until you raised the the pre-seed round and then from pre-seed to seed? So, what has been kind of the milestones that you have been uh, conquering? So, for other founders that are listening to us on the show to understand what it looks like to to do your journey. Mm-hmm. So I think um, yeah, it's an interesting one because I was equally listening to podcasts and I've heard multiple different things, right? So some say. <laughs> revenue figure some say a certain amount of traction some say yep. like new idea ip truth is that for us in the in the pre-seed round um we raised it during a time where there was a lot of funding available and where climate techs were basically super hyped right still are but back then it was already becoming pretty competitive but but you were still able to raise a round and so i think what we had was our first customer with um, KVC Bank Bulgaria, which back then was under the Raiffeisen brand because they had an M&A. Um, we had our first US-based customer with, with Cogni. Um, we had our first kind of strategic partnerships as well. And so we had all these things where the revenue was still, I mean, it was pretty much at five figures. I mean, it was super low, right? But still like decent amount for a company which has been around for maybe six months, five months. Yeah, and so that's what that was all it took, along with the founders. And I think at the early stage, still, you VCs tend to invest majority wise in the founders because they want to understand. Okay, this idea might not work, but do I believe that they can figure it out? Right? Do I believe right. they can pivot? And right. I think that was where, where we really, we had absolute conviction and still have in the in the idea, but also we we proved we were proving to the investors that we were flexible enough to adjust the circumstances and whatever. Um, and so interestingly, back then, the whole Russia-Ukraine war broke out. So that was also a huge insecurity factor, if you think about it, right. when we raised our pre-seed. So we also had a macro event that was crazy, maybe yes. not directly affecting us as a company in terms of day-to-day, but still on a macroeconomic perspective. And that helped, I think. And the toll the starts across. there in 22, when we see Q2, Q3 getting slower yeah. and slower and slower. Yeah. So it definitely wasn't easy either, you know, um, but, but yeah, I think it was the product. It was the, 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 even if it was limited, but the revenue people willing to pay for it and the differentiation angle and the long-term vision that we really got right. Mm-hmm. We pitched to like many VCs, right? I mean, you know, we pitched to, I think I pitched to 98 VCs wow. um, and I started pitching to the ones that I was less keen on. And then with the EF demo day, suddenly everybody was, you know, Probably I burned some bridges because I wasn't super prepared, to be honest, because um, mm-hmm. I learned throughout the process. But by the time it's your 15th pitch, you know how to adjust it. Um, also, right. one thing I did is adjust the deck for every investor. So if it was a climate tech investor, I would adjust it to include more climate related KPIs and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If it was a fintech investor, I would adjust it more towards fintech. If it was a generalist investor, I would kind of find a mix. And so that was nice. something that really helped because you would kind of speak their language. Mm-hmm. which was really helpful. I did the same, by the way, in the seed rounds, but in the pre-seed, it was even more important because you have to speak their language. You basically have nothing or a very right. limited thing. So you have to kind of speak their language to convince them and, and make them believe in you, basically. 
And in terms of we, we talk about the different stages that we go from, you know, we, first we need to prove problem solution fits, later product market fits, and then we start uh, scaling up. So in, in terms of problem solution fits, did you guys did any kind of market validation, uh, any stuff before starting developing the product? Or did you guys went through, develop the MVP straight away and, and then understand what you needed to tweak in order to have a developer position uh, that a customer segment would, would like to, was willing to pay to solve their problem, right? The beautiful thing about building an API product is that it's super easy to build, right? So, so we we had API docs and a website, um, and 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 that was pretty much it. We went out, we we basically pitched, you know, cold emailed hundreds of fintechs and banks, and with a horrible looking pitch deck. If I look at it now, it actually gives me the shivers. <laughs> like, how did someone ever want to give us money? Um, shout out to Cogni who who did in the end. But anyways. Um, but they were uh, able to again, they, they believed in you and in they the believed vision. in us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, and and so they were kind of our build partner, right? So we basically yeah. we had the API done, but we kind of built a bit with them, and 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 they were our first use case. And so that was great because they're a fast growing startup in New York. You know, they've raised tens of millions as a neo bank. Back then, they were a bit earlier, um, so they were willing to work with us. And then we used that use case to pitch the big one. And that's when we got, okay, like we validated the product with a smaller customer, which is now scaling super fast. And then we're going to like a multi-billion dollar financial institution. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, oh, you have a use case, great, it works, right? Um, but we knew there was demand from just customer interviews and conversations. We did a lot of mom testing. I don't know if you know what that is, the, when you basically... But, but Explain to exactly. <laughs> yeah, so mom testing basically is where, where you um, so when you go to your mom, and you say, uh, hey, I have this really cool startup idea. Like, I'm gonna build this. She's always gonna say, ah, that's great, honey. Like, I'll support you, whatever. Like, yeah, definitely, I would use that, right? But, but people are just too polite to say they would use it, right? They wouldn't use it, right? Because most people won't wouldn't. And so whenever you pitch it to someone saying, would you use this? It's like the worst way to pitch it, right? And so yeah. what, instead, what you say is, with us, it's like, what is your biggest problem? Um, would you mm -hmm. benefit from this? Uh, uh, talk me through your current whatever process you're trying to analyze. Tell me what your right. problems are. And so you're basically trying to, instead of giving the solution, you're trying to find the problem. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to get them to tell you what the problem is. And so we did that right. with... A lot of companies using APIs in climate or a lot of people trying to use climate data. And we found number mm -hmm. one, climate data is super hard to access, super expensive, just difficult to get a, a hand on, super unstandardized. And number two, there wasn't a solution in finance, which was solving that apart from two or three competitors. That's also validate, by the way. Right. So right. we saw some competition, which is always a good thing. It means there's a market, but it wasn't the industry wasn't kind of taken so there was enough space to grow and so those two factors really helped us understand there was some product market fit um which we then took forward right but at, at precedes uh almost 12 months ago or already 14 months ago um we are recording this on the 22nd of may to not confuse people um so did you did you guys already had clients at the time or the first clients yeah. second clients okay 
Yeah, so we so we we had Cogni announced. Um, we had the uh, Raiffeisen Bank proof of concept going on, um, which it. then, as I mentioned, turned to KBC Bulgaria. Yeah. Um, we had uh, a couple of kind of contract stage, like small small deals, right? Like okay. we're speaking of a couple of couple kind thousand. Of one one customer and two very advanced deals, almost closed, right? So yeah. kind of the first one to three. So there is a valid position here. There is really a problem to be solved, but there is mm -hmm. someone willing to pay. And this is a large institution. It's not a kind of yeah. an individual customer or a small business, uh, because if it was a small business, maybe it needed 10 or 20 uh, customers yeah. to, to show a certain pattern. Um, and then from pre-seed to seed, so until March of, uh, of 23, so what has been the, the evolution? So what has been, what did you try to focus yourself on proving during this, the last 12 months before you raised the, the seed round? Well, I think, I mean, for us, for me, it was always around, I'm, 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 I'm kind of generally prudent when it comes to burn, right? So I always look at many founders make the mistake of just hiring because they have the money, right? Mm -hmm. So we expanded our team from like six to like 12. So we doubled it, but the team of six, was like three interns, which we then promoted. And, and we basically had a very young team or have a young team that we basically enable people. So we, we proved that we were able to hire the right people. That's the first thing, which I think every mm -hmm. fund is worried about. It's hiring the wrong people, expensive hiring mistakes. The second one that we proved was just traction, right? So converting that proof of concept into, which was, which was also revenue but it wasn't ARR it was just a one-off concept kind of like fee mm -hmm. to bring that into yeah. a long-term deal of sizable right. value um and that that was the first one like will someone pay for this committing to a year or longer uh mm -hmm. adding logos to our to our website um and building a pipeline a validated pipeline that we were able to introduce to these investors as well in the end that said yes this is value mm -hmm. We will do a POC with the intent to pay X much, um, even though there was no kind of commitment because sales cycles in our industry take between six and two, six right. months and two years, depending on who you're speaking to. Right. Right. We were able to prove that our pipeline is big enough to hit that 1 million ARR by the end of whatever time frame this year, middle of next mm -hmm. year, depending on many things. Right. Mm -hmm. um, now, when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to like the whole kind of, you know, uh, traction side, also partnerships, right? So we signed, for example, um, FIS, which is a massive fintech company, uh, had us join their cohorts as one of the 10 startups pitching to hundreds of banks, basically, and working with FIS and them investing in the company. So wow, an actual potential partner in the industry is now investing in you through a safe wow that's big validation right so right. so we basically just showed guys there's validation here we're still yeah. too small to actually scale this we need the money to scale and right. i think that's what every investor wants to hear it's like we're limited in resources if we had more resources we could do more but because we don't we're just like mm -hmm. we can't and so that was the story i told in the seed round which is completely true like it was a fully legit reason to raise and uh, and there was exactly the right timing and we had to otherwise we would have just not been able to do certain things um and so and so that is basically uh what we did um to to get to the the, the right. seed round uh, which 
which was again a painful time, but it worked out, thankfully. So let's go through the two points that you just mentioned uh, moving forward. So the team and uh, the, the traction, of course, the, the tech component, the product component. You already said that um, you had a very uh, good technical co-founder who understood the space, were able to almost build a product uh, himself. And it was uh, a great validation of the of the um, tech skills of the of the founding team and of the initial team so starting starting with the team you said that you try to to keep the size of of the team under control but you you went from six to 12 people or the first we know that the first 10 or uh, 12 people are super important they can really grow the company or kill uh, the company if you don't hire them right. So there are even people that would say the first 10 androids uh, are critical <laughs> still, but uh, but definitely the first 10 uh, are. So any any lessons learned about building the right team? Uh, any any mistakes um, that you'd like to to share with, with other founders? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I truly believe in when it comes to hiring is um, if someone did it before, it's unlikely they'll do it again. I don't know. Like it's this one thing where if someone tells you that they did so well and everything is great and like mm -hmm. they have this and that, it's it's a red flag a bit for me because I feel like if they talk a lot at the beginning about it, then there's a chance that they generally talk a lot. And and I feel like mm -hmm. there's a worry that they actually won't prove it. Right. So mm -hmm. the very good hires we've made were um well, in some cases, interns that we've hired out of university, like like Josh, for example, who basically joined as an intern on the data side and then basically worked his ass off, sorry for my language, <laughs> the entire time. Right. And just really saw like... Saw them growing. Yeah. Huh? Sorry? You, you saw them growing uh, yeah, yeah. in the role. Yeah. Right? So I just, I just saw him growing basically from from just being super motivated and actually just providing value and just really yeah. growing into the role and, and shaping the role. And so now Josh is our head of data strategy, right? So like mm -hmm. within 18 months or almost two years Incredible. now. Incredible, well, yeah. Two years. Um, uh, you know, and then also other hires we've recently made on the commercial side, for example, um, you know, in this case, uh, George and Oli, guys who are super hungry to like, grow their skills who've done it before but like who want a new environment who want a new challenge who bring in a very strategic process-driven approach and can demonstrate that in the interview process like talk me through a deal you know who was your key stakeholder um, in the company how did you approach them how did you make sure that there was like you know buy-in you know what what was the qualification process these questions say say everything about a candidate now when it came to hiring mistakes you know, obviously, in this case, I won't mention people directly just out of respect to them. But, right. you know, the, the mistakes happened when we looked too much, number one, at the brands they worked for. Mm -hmm. So just because you worked for this company, like, yes, like you have a network there, like, my network is so big, like, I'll get anyone on board. But the right. skills aren't like the actual, like, practical skills required for that role in this environment aren't there. Um, That was a big mistake we made because mm -hmm. it's easier in sales for example to teach someone how to sell to a certain industry than to teach someone how to sell you know right and so so that's kind of the mistake that we made um assuming that somebody knows how to sell or 
do whatever just because they're in an industry. And so we've just shifted the approach of looking at people who sold to them previously or who built these products previously or who led these right. kind of products previously. And so that's kind of how we adjusted our thinking. Right. Kind of hiring a scaler uh, too early yes. and uh, or uh, hiring a scaler that doesn't have the skills to be a builder, right? So uh, exactly. because ideally we'd love a builder with the potential to become a scaler because then we are able to retain that person for a long time and to grow with the company. Exactly. Um, but we know that uh, it, it's very difficult to have two profiles in in the same person and to have kind of someone who is able to help the company to go from zero to one or even from zero to one, it, it's, it's a, a huge path. So just selling to the first the first customer, the first 10 or the first 20 or first 50 or first 100, are completely different moments of uh, of a company, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it's also, I think, important to see how how we scale our team. You know, um, you now want to hire people who are leaders, who who are willing to lead, who are entrepreneurial, who are defining not just their role but also the entire department, right? Who you can yeah. build around. And I think that's a very different hire than in three or four years' time. Uh, right. It's just different. Um, people can grow much faster and you have to almost do scouting like in football or something where you have to scout the player yeah, and see their time. potential, right. you know, and then they work in that system, but they might not work in like another system, right. you know? Um, so, so that, that is really, it's really true. I think that is, that is what, how we hire and, and, and how we've been able to basically, yeah, build a great team. I like the analogy between sales and recruitment, kind of having a pipeline of talent and a pipeline of uh, leads opportunities. Um, so that this is really, really important to always have a, a full uh, pipeline of uh, talent leads and, uh, and opportunities, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And uh, we know that as a founder, this is also not an easy road at all uh, with a lot of ups and downs. Uh, of course, we know uh, that it's also, as you said, uh, a fun path and uh, a very empowering path that you, you dream about making a, a change and you also grow so much leading a company and, and founding a company. But there is a lot of ups and downs, and it is an emotional uh, roller coaster. And and we know uh, what are the stats, namely in terms of mental health, uh, that founders are much more exposed to uh, depression, mental health issues, and and so on, uh, because they are always in a almost in a crisis moment, right? So, and 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 they can go from excitement to to crisis uh, in a very short period of time and uh, several times a day which is uh, not easy for the emotional system of any human being uh, so how, how do you balance um, your life as a founder to ensure that you keep having a life and that your your life is bigger than your your work your mission and mm -hmm. connect earth right? yeah i mean i think as a founder you're very much an athlete right you it's important that you take care of yourself to perform right and i think that's what i got wrong at the beginning like i i'm, I'm doing great now but you know so just 12 months ago you know with the round starting and stuff like i was not eating well i gained a lot of weight um actually which which thankfully now i've been able to control more and 
and and and reduced again but but like i think really i think um i neglected friends i neglected my own health i neglected my relationship in some ways as well um with my with my with my girlfriend and so these sorts of things you know aren't good because because you define yourself based on these ups and downs in the company you know like mm-hmm. like you said in one day there can be a one deal a lost deal and there can be uh, someone who you know doesn't accept your job offer like there's so many things that just happen right. every day right and and so I think very quickly I noticed that this year I was like what I did actually which really helped I was on holiday with my parents and I just copied the OKRs structure and into my personal notes and did personal okrs and so i just put in this year i want to achieve this because i know the concept works for me and so i said i want to weigh x or i want to eat x amount of times or um, i want to cook more often or i want to whatever it is right spend more time with my partner and so i know it sounds maybe a bit intense but it actually helped a lot Mm -hmm. and so yeah i used it for the first two or three weeks but then i just internalized a new routine I exercise almost daily. I um, take care of myself. I read more. I stopped reading for like a year. I just didn't read any books. I was just like working. And so mm-hmm. I read fiction, not just nonfiction, like business books, right? I, um, yeah, I cook more. I, you know, meet friends more often. I make an effort to meet friends. And also mm-hmm. I communicate with investors and others who text me late at night or early whenever. I just say, look, I'll get back to you tomorrow right now. It's downtime. Unless it's, of course, something which is super urgent, mm-hmm. like, you know, sirens going off. I um, I make that space. And I think it's equally important as doing the work yourself because you have much more time to think and you have much more time to process and and, and approach things with a more calm mindset and so so yeah i think that's really what has helped me a lot and everyone has their own routine i'm happy to of course share some of mine but but um but it's been it's been a great year so far for me from that level so that balancing has been better than ever and i think if i just continue it's going to get even better so yeah i would just like to highlight what you said about the importance of uh, first the okrs and the vision to have clarity of vision about what you want to achieve and what are the habits that you want to install and also to be able then to reflect on your agenda, what are those priorities, not only on the business side, but also on the personal side. I think that's really looking to our agenda and just do this exercise, look at your last quarter and at your next quarter and understand if the habits that you want to implement both in your personal life or as an athlete and in your professional life, if they are represented on your uh, calendar. And, and I would even add, uh, before you start any week uh, or any day, feel free to postpone or cancel meetings that you you don't feel that they are supporting uh, your objectives. Of course, you can always have a, take a call and pay it forward because uh, everyone also does that with with us and and supports us. But uh, but having in mind, I know that this meeting will not allow me to get closer my objectives uh but i'm doing this out of generosity kind of a, a percentage of my time is just to pay it forward um so um, i think that, that that's an important exercise to to do uh as a ceo and as a founder yeah completely agree i think prioritization is key or even if it's not a super big priority but it is a kind of a priority or something important you can always upload it to like an another member of the team to empower them to take control of it right i think often 
what I see is people appreciate when I just give them the task. Um, it's not not only because I want to not do it often I want to, it's just that I trust them to take right. the call. I trust them to build the relationship. I trust them to do that, right? And so I think often yeah. it's also been a matter of, yeah, what do you prioritize? You know, what can someone else take? I think that's a really yeah. hard part actually as the company grows. As a CEO, you make yourself redundant. Like your, your goal right. is to make yourself as redundant as possible, right? And yeah. so that's really where I've, I'm still have to improve in this and, and learn from others. But what I'm not perfect at yet is knowing when I should do something versus when I should delegate it or give it to someone right. else. And so that's really moved mountains for me. I used to have 10, 12 meetings a day. Now maybe I only have on a bad day eight, but I have like a lot of time which is what I always wanted. And I think that's really important to have, like just downtime, like not just a yeah. meeting, but like you spending two hours on your own is also important, as important as taking a meeting with the team. Right, having time to think and uh, to reflect and uh, also to plan and uh, and visualize what, what is coming at. So time flies incredibly fast. So let's go to the traction uh, part of what you just uh, said at the beginning. So I would like to cover kind of, I would say for any company that is an enterprise model, selling to the first enterprise customer is a very scary and tough uh, journey because we never know how long it will take and the sales cycle are uh, long. There is no pattern. We are just uh, understanding what is the sales process that will work for our model and you were able to sell to a to a bank in bulgaria and uh, as you said uh, you were based in in london in the uk and originally from from germany uh, and frankfurt so two fintech apps um but anyway selling the first enterprise customer in, in bulgaria how has been the the story yeah yeah so so yeah it's, it's interesting because it, it may seem not traditional to go down that route when you're in london but I think one thing that we also see is there's a lot of banks who want to integrate this kind of product, right? So we have to find the RFPs and the opportunities and the competitions. And so plug and play actually in the European team in Frankfurt, um, who I work with extremely closely and they're based in Frankfurt too, which is even better because when I'm here, I can just meet them, right? But they said Raiffeisenbank is doing a, um, a POC um, about carbon footprint insights. Uh, we would like you to apply. So we applied and there were, I think, 20 applications. We got into the final five. And so this was like November, 2021. So it was like super early days, all or nothing, just when we were raising our pre-seed. If we close this, we'll probably raise our pre-seed. If not, we'll probably right. raise it too, but a better at a lower valuation. <laughs> but um, But basically what I always told the team and what I still tell the team is I'm not angry with them or, or, at anyone if we don't get it right as long as we feel like we did everything we can yeah. you know Love i it. always lived yeah. by this like when i did my ib diploma or my uni degree i said if i don't get the grade i want like it's fine as long as i look back and say i did everything i could do like yeah. just going above and beyond like did i do really everything i can and so with raiffeisen i said guys we have to go above and beyond we've designed custom mock-ups we did videos showing their Mm -hmm. like interface with the carbon footprint app we went in their esg strategy and extracted exactly the parts they want and weaved it into our presentation linking back to nice. it so just couldn't say no like it just you just couldn't what's the other competitors and again like they're all great 
and they were a bit bigger than us so maybe they just saw it as another pitch mm-hmm. but they just pitched it they just took their pitch deck and said this is what we do right That's whereas cool. we told the story and specifically showed how we can be a build partner we didn't tell them it was a finished product from the start it requires cooperation but we just really tailored it and so i think that was massively important and we take the same approach now we were just part of a big rfp which i can't talk about yet but mm-hmm. same approach like we did custom mock-ups we went in the esg strategy of the company we we did everything we could we went above and beyond we gave recommendations mm-hmm. to make it as personalized as possible and so if we don't get it yeah sucks like we'll miss out on a lot of revenue and a big potential right. customer and partner but if we look back and say we did everything we could then then you know that's 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 important and i guess more specifically to the deal with 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 bulgaria mm-hmm. um the stakeholders you know we very early identified them and also addressed them so we actually have to understand who's the right stakeholder in the company who's a champion where does the budget come from so we understood our customer we asked all those questions in the process mm-hmm. so we understood the customer um because right. the bank is pretty big and so we knew who the person was to make decision decisions we knew who the person was who could champion us and we knew where the budget came from those three things were important for us to position it in the perfect way and so I know it's kind of a long answer but the last thing I would say is you know we were a bit hesitant to push on those points but doing so enabled us to also show them how keen we were and how much we cared about them and so we would send extra emails even outside of the schedule to get that information amazing and um, before going to the last segment of the show, uh, something very curious is that you were able, as you mentioned before, to acquire the first U.S. customer very early on. Um, and this is always this discussion about expanding. I know that you uh, are expanding to North America, uh, Canada, and, and and the U.S. So, and there is always this discussion is it too early? Is it too late? When is the right timing to uh, expand from Europe to to the US? Of course, you have an enterprise go-to-market uh, motion. So some of those banks are uh, international and global entities. So it helps if you are able to serve them across different locations uh, and you are able to expand the account uh, by just putting you in touch with, with a new uh, country and it will be a new contract. Um, but uh, yeah, you you are not coming out of the blue. Uh, they already know you and what you have helped to do in other uh, countries. So two questions in one. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I mean, kind of combining both questions, I think, so we're definitely on the early side, right? Um, mm-hmm. In our journey and, 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 you know, signing our first customers in the US, like that was not strategic. That was just take what you get at the beginning and try to build a brand and try to get as many people on board. Um, but we also saw an opportunity for a first mover advantage where Europe is very competitive for a product, very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, we really have to find niches and we've developed our product into a B2B proposition and everything as well to like make that happen. Whereas the US is relatively greenfield, relative, right? There's still competitors there that are operating there, awesome. but it's still very untapped. And so we feel like having one, so I'm, I'm currently based out of North America, actually, normally mm-hmm. for six months to scope out that whole market and, and be with the team in Europe once every six, eight weeks. But basically, you know, being there first and getting our first customers will lead to a hockey hockey stick curve. 
right? Mm -hmm. Now, we have our first partner with FIS. We have our first large community bank with Flushing Bank Live. We have our first Neo Bank Live. We have our first Climate Tech Live. We have our first partnerships in general. We're now seeing that inbound leads are increasing. And so we actually limited our cost of acquisition through that because we're like one of the most dominant providers in the space, even though we might be smaller than some competitors, generally speaking, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're hiring someone dedicated for that market with my support to separate it at a tiny bit. But a lot of the learnings that we have are very relevant also for Europe and vice versa. So um, we're, we're truly global products. We're focusing purely on North America and Europe. And in Europe, we have George, who's primarily doing this. And then Oli is helping a bit on the US. And we're now hiring someone over there. Um, and it's just a gut feeling, to be honest, but also driven by customer demand and by a clear strategy, which we've now formulated off the back of that on how we can capture that market. Uh, best way possible. Sounds great. And so uh, we'd love to kind of have you back in, in 12 months to see uh, how it goes in terms of the yeah. expansion. And uh, so let's go to the last segment of the show where I ask you a quick question and give me a, um, a brief answer as well. Uh, Alex, if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself uh, in July of 21, when you started Connect Earth, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Um, well, I would say to um, take every rejection as a as a a way to learn, right? That you basically learn from every time you get a no, whether it's an investor or, or a a um a client. I used to take it a bit more personal, but I feel like it's not. It's just a matter of opinions and and adjusting to the market and to whoever tells you something. Um, I think that's the number one thing: is to not take things personal um, and to learn from failures instead of kind of beating yourself down over it um right. the second thing is the hiring situation we spoke about before which yeah. is hire for skill not for cv love it what are you the most proud of on your journey so far this may sound a bit cliche but truly our team like truly 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 the team we've assembled mm -hmm. um i think we have such a phenomenal amount of people in the company and everyone works super hard so very very proud of our team and and i'm looking forward to continuing our work together so you were uh, 12 uh when you raised seats in march are you uh how many now yeah so we'll be around 17 soon um 17. so as you can tell we're quite prudent but we're only going to hire more as we get more customers so our runway is pretty pretty juicy Great <laughs> worst <laughs> advice ever received so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, so this is an interesting question. I thought about it before the call. Um, I wouldn't say there's one worst advice I received. What I would say is the worst advice I've ever received was from people who weren't where I want to be. Mm -hmm. So if the advice didn't come from someone that I looked up to and that I said, I want to be there next year and five years and 10 years and 20 years, if they weren't there, then that was bad advice because how would they be able to give me advice, right? So every bad piece of advice I received was from someone who wasn't where I was or I wanted to be, sorry, in the future who I didn't look up to. And so I think that's a much more important thing to mention here than to pick one bad piece of advice because there's many that I okay. couldn't organize, but that's how I see it. <laughs> I'll, I'll to avoid uh, having 
uh, bad advices. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> and, and now the resources. Your favorite book, business or not business, you decide. Yeah. So, um, so I would say, you know, my favorite book is um, "Solve for Happy" from Mo Gaftat, uh, who or I don't know how to say his last name, but he um, wrote a book about how to be more happy basically mm -hmm. how how you can generally have how you can see the world and have a more content relationship with yourself and people around you he spoke about how his how his son died um tragically with a routine operation when the son was like i think in his late teens and how he just broke apart but then how he found the strength by just thinking positive and i think that's super important generally speaking because especially in the environment I'm in and things that, you know, happened in my past on a personal and professional basis. Like if I wouldn't think that way, I would go crazy. Um, that's my favorite nonfiction book. I would say I've started to read more fiction, but, but nonfiction, that is my favorite book more so than any business book I ever wrote, because it's the foundation of who I am and how I perceive the world mm -hmm. and problems and everything around me. Great, great addition to the list. Thank you, Alex, for sharing. And favorite movie or series? Any Christopher Nolan movie, in particular Inception and Interstellar. And also just linked to that, Hans Zimmer, like his composition is just like insane. So any Nolan-Hans Zimmer combination is for me, like I can watch <laughs> those movies every day. <laughs> and finally your favorite podcasts excluding this one Ooh, um yeah i mean i would say lex friedman probably just because it's just uh i don't know i just feel like again maybe just one of the bigger ones but but i i just learned so much on there um i would like to listen more to be honest um but but yeah lex friedman for sure he always he always gets them somehow yeah. <laughs> Alex, thanks so much for making the time. Congrats for, for what you have achieved uh, so far and all the best luck in the next chapters. And you are always invited to come back to share the, the progress. Thank you for having me, Mike. Thanks. And to the community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your business. See you soon and keep scaling.